Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Dylan and welcome to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. The best way to stay connected to the life of the church is downloading our app. Simply go to the App Store, search for Church Center, and download the app and enter the information for our church. This will connect you to our church community. I pray the following presentation will inspire you to come closer to God in this journey of faith. Enjoy listening. I have to tell you, after doing those four services on the day, then we were able to really have, just have a good time of rest. And then we were able to, um, the, the staff was able to rest for a little while as well. But man, I love Christmas. It's just such a time of celebration. And then now we're finally seeing the snow. And so I know that some of you want to see that. My kids will be happy, although they're probably praying for more snow so they don't have to go to school tomorrow. You know, so. Uh, but I remember back in the 90s, and I don't know if this was around Christmas. I don't even know if it was a Christmas gift. I remember back in the 90s, uh, my dad got us tickets to go uh, to a Cleveland uh, Cavaliers basketball game. And I have to tell you, the 80s and the 90s, as far as basketball were concerned in the NBA, those were just great years to me. And those were um, some of the guys I could connect with and just love some of the stories. And so we were going to go to this game. And I have to tell you, even though we were going to this game, there was just one man that I was interested in seeing that day. And I have to tell you, at that time, we had uh, Sean Kemp on the team, um, who was, you know, he, had, he was a great basketball player for a little while in his own right. But even though he was playing for the Cavs, that is not the guy that I wanted to see that day. You see, the team the Cavs were playing were the Bulls, the Chicago Bulls. And you know the man of greatness that was on that team, Michael Jordan. And man, we had uh, second row seats we were behind the bench, and I, I got to tell you, I was in awe. I mean, I was, I, I think I was even out of college at this time, but man, I was just like, you know, just like a little kid. Like, I, I couldn't believe I got to saw this guy, and I watched him dismantle uh, the Cavs that day, and I mean, just a tremendous athlete, and I have to tell you, once I saw that, man, I couldn't wait to brag to everybody. You know, I was like, man, you're never going to believe what I saw. I saw Michael Jordan. I saw him up close and personal, and, and I mean, this was just a great thing, and it, it was one of those things where... The tickets were bought, and I came, and I, I sat in the game, and I just watched in awe. And then, like I said, after I'd seen everything that had happened, I went out, and I began to tell people what I personally saw and what I personally witnessed. You see, the Christmas story, and one of the things that we're going to get into for the next series, for the next couple months, until we get into our Easter time, one of the things that we're focusing on is I, this idea because I think it's an underlying message that you see all through the book of Matthew. But it's this idea of come and see, not go and tell. So even when you look at the Christmas story, which we just wrapped up, you'll notice that many people and people came from afar. They saw a star in the east and they come to see the baby and they recognized it was the Savior. But they came and saw and then they went to tell. Then you get a little bit further on into the story of Jesus, and you'll notice that people are coming to see him. They're coming to hear from him. They're coming to have miracles done. And as they are coming and seeing, after these things are done, Jesus is saying, now I want you to go and tell. Go and show your family the differences that have taken place. And then we know that when we get further on into the text that all of a sudden we have Jesus now saying that he is going to die and that he's going to rise again. And they see this death happen. And as they witness the death, there is this now going and telling the community or everybody else. And then the resurrection happens. He comes back alive even after calling his shot. He said, look, I'm going to be dead for three days. I'm not going to be around. And then I'm going to come back. 
And then they see this. Think about this. The disciples witnessed Jesus talking about this, and now they see it happen. And I mean, it totally changes their whole perspective. They went from thinking that their leader had died to see him now alive. And that, him being alive, I mean, it changed them. And it changed them in such a way that they came and saw, and then they went and told the world. And because of that, you and I have this information about Jesus today and how he can radically change our lives as well. But before Jesus left this earth, he gave this kind of one last statement to the disciples. And this is the last words that Matthew really records in this setting. So I want us to read together, and hopefully you have your Bibles with you, but I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, and I want us to look at verses 16 through 20. And even though we're gonna start at the end of the book, we'll start at the beginning kind of next week and kind of work our way through this come and see and go and tell. It says this in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, what a tremendous statement you made to those disciples who had spent a period of time just trying to figure out, you know, what do we do? We saw our leader die. But yet when you came back to life, when they saw you face to face and even when one individual saw your nail-pierced hands, it stirred such a belief and such a confidence and such a hope that, Father, they went and told the world everything that they had seen. Father, you gave us this command. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. And so, Father, help us to walk into this, what we call the Great Commission today. Father, if there's anything that I would get wrong in the interpretation, I pray that you would clean it up in the ears of your people so that your voice is the one they hear from. And no one else is in your name we pray. Amen. So the 11 disciples, they get together, and Jesus has kind of called this gathering. And as they're sitting, they're probably clinging to his last words. Jesus makes the statement, therefore, go. And what it was is this. It's sort of like, look, you've seen everything that has happened. You've seen everything that has taken place. You saw me say that I will die. And you saw me beaten on the cross. You saw me bleeding. You saw me die out. And then you heard that me say that I'm going to be back in three days. And though you may not have believed it, now that you've seen it, like there is a way to go tell the story. I love, by the way, that one of the people, his brother, James, who really didn't believe that Jesus was probably the Savior, the Messiah, he has this complete change to where he writes a book of the Bible and literally kind of writes the same words that Jesus writes because he saw his brother die and then he saw him come back to life. And when you see something like that happen, you really believe. Like it makes a change in your life. So they're clinging to these words and then Jesus tells them in the midst of what's going on, and now you've seen me, you've seen me come back to life and I'm getting ready to leave again, but here's what I want you to do with this. Therefore, I want you to go. Now, for us, that sounds like, you know, where do you, where do you go? You know, what does that word go mean? Does it mean you're gonna send me off into some uh, crazy remote place? Maybe. 
You know, are you going to send me to like the ends of the earth? Maybe. But I think that you and I need to understand what that word go means. Because if you look that up in the Greek context, there is the word that means, and I'm supposed to roll my R, which I'm not very good at doing, but it's, basic, it's basically the word parul. And what that basically means is it means more than just to go to a specific location. It actually means going. So the Greek word is what he simply was saying. Therefore, I want you to keep going. And while you're going, I want you to make disciples of all nations. In other words, what he was saying to them is, while you're doing life, while you're in your workplaces, while you're around your family, while you're around your friends, while you're doing life, I want you to make disciples of all nations. Now, that's a profound thought. And it's interesting as you and I dig into the scriptural text, and as we look at some of the things that have taken place in the life of Jesus, Jesus will heal people, he'll save them from their sins, and it'll cause a new direction in their life. And this is what he'll simply say to them. He says, now I want you to go back home. And I love that. Why does he want them to go back home? Because those are the people that knew him or her the best. Those are the people who knew the sickness that you had. Those are the people that knew some of the things that you were going through in life. Those are the people who know your sin. I want you to go back to them because when they see the change, they'll want to know why has this change happened and now you get to share the message and the hope of Jesus Christ. You see, they will come and see and they will go and tell the difference that Christ has made in your life. And I want you to know that this is just a profound thought for me. Because he says, I want you to go, and while you're doing life with people, I want you to make disciples of all nations. Not to tell you, like making disciples is basically the concept of getting people to follow Jesus. All right, that's what it is. If you have somebody that's a disciple of you, they're trying to learn from you. We would sometimes call these maybe even apprentices or like now, you know, uh, you have people that will graduate college and, and they'll go and work for a company for a little bit as an intern so they can get some understanding and some knowledge and so that they can kind of follow those ways. And when they were a disciple of Jesus, they were basically an apprentice. They were learning how to live life like Jesus. But the difference was for them is this was like a major life decision. You have to remember that Jesus was killed for the very words that he was speaking about, for the very thing that he was identifying with. And so when they were making disciples at this time, and maybe you and I don't experience this in our American culture, but I will tell you this, like I I truly see a day that I think is coming sooner than later then you and I will probably feel persecution in America for our beliefs. And you and I are going to have to decide at some point, are we going to continue to be disciples of Jesus or not? Does this really make sense for us? Luke 14, 3, Jesus was quite explicit about the cost of following him. He said this, discipleship requires a total commitment of life. He says this, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Sacrifice is also expected. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, discipleship was a heavy, weighty word. 
Matter of fact, when people were called Christians early on in the uh, New Testament, it wasn't like a, a sign of endurement. It was almost like putting you down. Oh, look, there goes the Christians. And I think that you and I, in our cultural context, are feeling a little bit the weight of that nowadays. Oh, there they are. They're the Christians. They believe this or that. And they don't identify with these certain things. And all of a sudden, I think you and I feel sort of the um, immense kind of persecution I think is kind of building up. We're almost, it's like not good to be a Christian anymore. And what Jesus says is simply this, is that you and I, as followers of him, like we need to let the world see that Christ has made a difference in our life. He has made such a difference in my life that even if I am persecuted, even if I find some hardships along the way, like I still have a firm belief in him that says, go ahead and bring it on. Because I'm willing to endure all this because Christ has made a difference in my life. Now, some of you would say, well, I get the point that we're supposed to make disciples, but how in the world can I make disciples? But listen, you make disciples in your life all the time. Some of you as parents, look, see little baby here today, like you guys got to disciple that kid. And it's not just in the things of God, it's just in life. Like you need to teach them how to eat. You need to teach them how to take care of themselves. You need to teach them how to basically, like when they leave your house, how that they will care for themselves. Like there is a discipleship that takes place. And we'll do all those things, but when it comes to the word of God, it's almost like we pass that off on somebody else. Because I don't know how to disciple my kids. Listen, did you really know how to be a parent when you first became a parent? I mean, I often joke. I'm like, I know the nurses were like, Dude, I don't think this guy should take a kid home. You know, this is, this is a, I think they called the children's place before I even left. You know, like, you better watch this dude, you know? Like, I know that I had no qualifications to do that. And I think even at times when I'm up here preaching the word of God, like, I don't have the qualifications of what it takes. But I want you to notice what he said. Before he said go, he said, therefore, which again, we've always talked about that word, and I won't yell at you today, but it basically means, hey, Stop and look what that word is there for. And Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. You know what the truth is? There's a lot of things I cannot do on my own. I cannot win anybody to the kingdom. I don't have the power to do that. There's a lot of things that I feel like I can't even do as a parent. There are a lot of things that I feel like I cannot do in life. But there is one who can, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is because I have all authority and power. Like, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to guide you, and I'm going to help you. I can't win anybody the kingdom myself. Only he can. My responsibility is to come and see and go and tell. You know, there was a, uh, and I think I mentioned this before, but in this book we're reading um, with our pastors, one of the things that it said is it's called the divine mentor. And one of the things it says is there's a lot of things in life that you do that somebody else can do, which is true. Anybody else can do this. They can come up here, they can lead, they can probably do it better. But there are a few things that only I can do. And there are a few things that only you can do. I'm the only one that can be a father to my kids. And I have to do that well. And what that means is this, why I'm doing life with my kids, I need to lead them in the way of God. And you and I need to think about that. 
Because there are times when you and I mess up. And you probably think to yourself, I have no business telling people how to follow God because I am a screw up. I I make all kinds of mistakes. Listen, the good news is you have the Bible. There's a ton of people that are messing up all over the place in there. You talk about Moses that led the people out of Israel, out out of Egypt and out of slavery. You remember he killed somebody? All right, and then tried to hide it? You remember Abraham? Father Abraham would call him, had all these many sons, and, and out of this great nation would come someone. Abraham lied on more than one occasion, and yet God still allowed him to lead people. Jacob, who was known as the great deceiver in the Bible, you remember him deceiving all these people, and yet God brought a nation out of him and allowed him to continue to lead. You have Peter who denies Jesus three times. And yet Jesus told him before he even did this, like, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. All right, you have that happening. And then you have Paul in the New Testament who is persecuting Christians. And then he has a moment with Christ. And because of it, he is now able to lead. You have the woman at the well who is in all these various relationships. And Jesus does a work in her life. And what does she do? She saw Jesus. She saw someone love her differently. And then she went back to community. And then she told them. And she brought them. You see, you and I have a responsibility. That the people that were around, the community that we live in, that they see a change and a difference in us. And listen, we might make mistakes. But let's own them. And let's show them that repentance is the best way. You know what all these people in this Bible have the same? Is that they repented of their mistakes. They told people, this is where I messed up. But here's how Jesus changed my life. They came and saw what Jesus did. And then it radically changed their lives to where they had a story to tell. You see, you and I have a story to tell. And you and I need to recognize while we're doing life that there are some things that only God does and you and I need to recognize that and we need to go tell the world about it. And here's the cool thing. When it says go into all the world, you're going different places than I go. Your family's different than my family. Your workplace is different than my workplace. And if each and every one of us goes to our specific locations and while we're doing life with people, we teach them what it means to be a Christian, think about your coworkers that you're working with. They see you day in and day out. They see how you respond and you react to situations. And they're taking note. And by the way, you're showing them how a Christian handles things. They're seeing you that when they're going through daily lives and daily situations, they're seeing that how you handle bad news and, and what happens with that. Even this morning, I was talking with a, a gentleman and, uh, and uh, was asking me to pray for his mom. And I love this because his mom, through all the, maybe some of the cancer and stuff that's, that's going to take place, simply said to the doctors, you know, I have peace about this because I know the Lord. What a tremendous testimony that person is making. And those doctors and nurses have to look at that person and say, wow, through all that that person is going through, I wish I had that kind of peace with what I'm going through in life myself. So it says, go and make disciples of all nations. Then it says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
And I love that sort of phrasing right there because when you think about it, baptism is what he's talking about is let's do this in the name of the Trinity. And if you know what baptism is, baptism is basically this inclusion with a community. It's their way of saying like, I identify with Christ. I understand that he's made a difference in my life and I'm gonna be immersed and I'm gonna die to my sin and I'm gonna come back alive like sort of this resurrection power that happens within us that says, I wanna show the world that I'm changed and now I belong to this community. And it's important, by the way, for new believers to belong to a community. Why? Because there is some shepherding, there's some discipling that goes on. Like when people become Christians for the first time and they're new in their faith, they're going to face some situations that they say, I don't know how to walk through this. I don't know how to walk through some of my, that my problems in marriage. I, I need to talk to somebody. I need to be part of a community that can help me see things from a different perspective and love me and walk me through this. You know, I, I, I just lost a job. And I don't know how to handle this because there's a lot of weight and pressure that's on me now because I've got mortgage payments and, and, and I've got to get through life. And so we come around as a community to help those individuals. There have been people that have been divorced. There have been uh, widowers in our, in our midst. And they need people to come around them and be the community of love and support. There's parents that are raising their kids and they're doing it for the first time. And they need to know what it means to belong to a community of people who will be there, help them, and help them work their way through it. But this idea of the Trinity being mentioned here, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and that's powerful. Because you think about this. The way that people identify God many times is this, God the Father who was the creator, who created this great world for people to endure. And then sin entered the world, and then we have this sort of identity with God as the Son, Emmanuel. God is with us. He walked with us. He talked with us. He put himself on a cross for us. And so you have this God that we see in the past that is also still in the present, but you see Jesus who is very much present and very much real. And then it says, and then you have the Holy Spirit who is this compelling force in your life that, listen to this, God the Father led the people out of slavery. Jesus led us out of sin, and the Holy Spirit continues to lead us in the presence of God, uh, helping us to understand that there are times when I make mistakes and there are times when I mess up and the Holy Spirit has this convicting influence in our life that says, Chuck, you got to apologize for that. Or, hey, Chuck, I think you should watch this kind of misstep and let's kind of walk this way. And you and I are moved by that presence. But when you and I are baptized in the name of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, we're welcomed into this fellowship. And it's within that fellowship that you and I are moved and directed. It's within that fellowship that you and I need a place of rest and of peace where we can be led. Man, what a great, what a great thought. And what a great influence that people can have in our life. You know, even as I was thinking about when he said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And that's a powerful moment because I think some of us lack authority at times. And I think in the generation that we're living in, authority, it almost doesn't have a place anymore. I mean, we're so critical of authority. 
Think how we're critical of teachers, how we're critical of politicians, how we're critical of police. Like these people who should have authority over our lives to make sure that we're walking sort of this straight line that we need to. Like so many of us have taken those things for granted. And by the way, we're teaching our kids kind of this thing as well. What if you and I said, like while we're doing life with people, we're gonna teach them how to respect authority once again. And I have to tell you, I think a lot of us like authority. I love authority when I, like, when I first had my kids. Oh, it was great authority. They would say, why should I do that? And I'd be like, I'm your dad. That's all that matters. Well, now they've gotten to be teenagers and they're like, that don't matter. I'll tell you off. You know, I'm like, okay, it's go time. But I love this because I think some of us have this sort of teenage thing when it comes to God as well. When we first come to God, we say, yeah, because you're God, I'll follow you. But then we have this sort of teenage mentality that we say, well, yeah, but God, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And you and I have to recognize that we need to come under his authority. And that's why the church becomes important as well, because there's an authority within the church. There's an authority within small groups. There's an authority within discipleship where you and I, if we're gonna walk this walk together and we're gonna be included you and I need to be open and honest with each other at times. You and I need to be able to say to one another, I think the way you reacted or responded wasn't good. I always say this, my, my, the reason I didn't get in a lot of trouble in, in high school or middle school was because all my church friends were around. And I had a lot of brothers and one sister as well, and I knew that they would rat me out in an instant, you know? <laughs> But it's hard to like when you're at school and you get ready to do something bad and you know that one of them are like, mm-hmm. Wait till I go home and tell. But there's something in that moment that is very powerful and very protective. And you and I as the church need to be out there to protect one another, not just so that we can beat each other down, but that you and I can help each other walk the way we need to walk. And inclusion is very important because there's a lot of people in life that have not felt included at all. There are even people in this place today they don't feel loved or accepted. They don't feel like they can be a part of certain groups. They can feel like things are very cliquish and they just want to belong to something. There have been people, and you know, and maybe you were this person. Maybe there were the times that you didn't make the team or you didn't make the singing group. Maybe there were times that you didn't get the promotion. Maybe you don't get to hang out with certain people at work. And that is so troubling to you because you feel like you're all alone. The church should be a place where we can feel included. The church should be a place full of mercy and grace. That means when people come into our midst, no matter what sin has happened in their life, you and I should be willing to love them and accept them and to disciple them. Jesus took everybody in. No matter what disease or sickness they had, he placed his hands on them and he touched them. No matter what kind of sin was out there, Jesus still brought them in and forgave them. You see, it's a powerful thing when you think about it that Jesus wants to include every one of us, no matter what our sin is, into his presence. And then he says this, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And teaching them to obey basically Christ's commands. And I think that's important for us. And I want to say this again, but I think so many times we have a dependency on someone up here to do all the work of teaching you God's commands. But for you truly to know God's commands, you can't just be here like once a week for an hour and expect to be fed and filled. Like you need to get into the word daily. Because you need to know Christ's commands. And by the way, the reason why you need to get your Bibles, I don't care if they're on your phone, I don't care if it's here, because you need to read with me. Why? Because you need to make sure I just didn't make something up. All right? I remember being part of a service where somebody read out of something that wasn't the Bible once just to see if people would agree, and only one person opposed it. That's a problem, church. You and I need to be in the Word of God to check what the person's saying. Because I am fallible in all kind of ways. I, I can make mistakes. But the word of God is not. It is truth. And it is right. And Jesus Christ is right. And so you and I need to cling to his words. We need to know what it says. And what I found is this. The more and more I read from his word, it's interesting to me how I can sit in a service or I can sit in a small group and somebody will be talking about something and I'll be like, oh, I just read that. And how powerful that was. Now, here's the thing. I would love to tell you that that happens all the time. But I was in the chapter one of Chronicles today in my devotions. And it just told me who was related to who. And it did nothing for me. I would love to tell you it did, but it didn't. But there are so many times that I keep working and working and working through it. Why? Because when you and I learn to obey and we teach, this is living a life of surrender. It's living a life of surrender saying, look, I'm willing to sacrifice this time in my day. Why? Because I know at the end of the day, God wants to speak to me. I'm willing to wrestle through some of the different chapters in the Bible. Why? Because I know that at some point, at some time when I read that, that God will move through me. You see, even as I was working, and I don't know if, even know if I'm going to explain this right, because this is in our English context. But as I was looking at the word disciple, and I was, I was understanding this. I was understanding that a disciple is a follower of something. And in our case, it would be a follower of Christ. But I thought, the more and more I follow Christ, what I recognize in my life, that I have to be disciplined about more things. I have to read his word. I have to spend time in prayer. I have to change some of the ways I do things. Why? So that when I go back to my hometowns, that when I go back to the people around, I want them to see a difference in my life. But it's interesting to me, the word in our English for disciple and the word for discipline, the difference between those words is what? I think it's the word line. And I think it's important that you and I understand the line that we walk when we're a follower of Jesus. That line that I walk, for some of you can feel like a tightrope. And early on, it probably does feel that way. Because it's like at any time I could fall off one way or another. But that line is important because the more and more I walk that line, the more and more I recognize God's grace and I recognize the freedom that there is in it. But I also recognize that there are some disciplines and there are some things that have to change in my life. Why? So that when the world sees me, they can see something different in me. I'll probably do a message on this, but this was something I was doing in one of my readings recently. And I just thought it was, I thought it was so profound that I just want to give it to you as a side note. But it's simply this. When Jesus was leaving, one of the things that he says is, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
remember that? And he said, in my father's house are many rooms. And then he said, if it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. Now we love that because that tells us that he's going back to prepare a place for me. And I have to tell you, when I do funerals, one of the things I love to talk about is how that God created the world in six days. And man, everything, if you look at the world in its untouched form, it's, man, it's gorgeous. It's great. You know, there's beauty in the rivers and the mountains and the, the trees and the plants. Like it's just a beautiful place. And then Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he's been gone for over 2,000 years. So I can't even begin to imagine what that's going to look like. But this is the thought that occurred to me. Because one of the things Jesus said is this, if it weren't so, I would have told you. I think that's an important phrase. And the reason why I think that's an important phrase, I think it was Jesus' way of saying, okay, guys, you're probably used to people that don't tell you the full truth. You're probably used to people that don't tell you exactly what's going on. And he says, look, I told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he said, if it weren't so, I I wouldn't have told you that. And what Jesus was basically saying to them, in all this life that you've known me, while you and I have done life together, have I ever once lied to you? Have I ever once hurt you? Have I ever once been unfaithful to you? Jesus was simply saying, because you know my character and you know who I am, then you know I'm not lying. And you can be assured of this, that I'm going to prepare a place for you. I love this because Jesus, who being very perfect, his character allowed him to speak great truth. And church, here's what I know. If you and I would live a more disciplined life, If you and I would react and respond differently to things in the world does, if you and I would live out the word of God, people would see something different within our character. That when we say to them that Jesus can make a difference for you in your life, people look at you and say, I know that person. I know the way they live. And I know that Jesus makes a difference in their life. You see, my prayer, my hope is this. My prayer and my hope for my kids is that at the end of the day, even with all my mistakes, my kids will say, you know, dad made some mistakes in life, but he always owned up to them. And he was always faithful to God. And we saw the difference that God made in his life. And if God can make a difference in his life, then God can make a difference in my life as well. Come and seek Jesus. Come and see the difference he can make. And then you and I have the responsibility to go and tell the world. And your world, by the way, is where he's placed you right now. And if he calls you to go somewhere else, then you go. Even if it's to Michigan, go. Church, would you stand with me this morning? And let's pray together. Father God, we just want to thank you for the way that you have moved in this service. And Father, I just pray that even as we would wrestle and grapple with the idea that we get to walk this life with you, I pray that we would be moved and challenged. That we would understand that the people that you've put us around, that whether it be kids or whether it be our spouses, whether it be our work situations, those that we come in contact with, help us to recognize that those are the people 
that we're supposed to go to so that they can see this change that you have made in our life and then that it gives us the ability to tell. So when you do good things in our life, remind us so that we can tell people, oh yeah, you should see what God did in my life. Not that we have to be crazy about it, but if we get it to change our talk and people begin to see that, man, we're different people with Christ, then they'll say, then I want that difference myself. So give us the ability to do that and to reach out like never before. Father, I pray that you would just give us a blessed week, a week full of just this tremendous movement of you. And Father, even when we walk into hard times and, and hardships that may come our way, may we continue to live this faithfulness that the world would know, wow, Christ made a difference. Even in the tragedy of their lives, Christ made a difference. So go with us now in your name we pray, amen. Church, thanks for being here with us today. Go with God and we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. If you are located in the Marion area, we would love to have you join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fantastic children and student ministries, please visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org. That's dayspringwesleyan.org.